Welcome to Ownership Matters, a podcast for homeowners in resident-owned communities brought to you by Rock USA. We'll bring you conversations with community leaders, cooperative housing advocates, and leaders from across the manufactured housing industry. I am Paul Bradley, president of Rock USA. We started Rock USA in 2008 to make resident ownership in manufactured home communities a reality from coast to coast. I've been working with resident-owned communities since 1988, and I've heard many stories from community leaders and industry professionals along the way. And I'm Mike Bullard. I've worked at Rock USA as communication manager since 2012, and I've had the opportunity to visit hundreds of cooperatives along the way. I'm excited to be Paul's co-host on Ownership Matters. We're launching this podcast to highlight the stories of people at the heart of the resident ownership movement. Today, we are thrilled to welcome Julie Eads to the podcast. We wanted to introduce you to Julie in our first episode because she's been there since the beginning of the rock movement. She'll talk about stories from the first resident-owned community, the rock leaders who've inspired her, and the wins along the way. Mike, take it away with Julie's background. Sure, Paul. Julie retired this past summer as the president and founding executive director of the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund. She joined the organization in January 1984. The Community Loan Fund provides the financing and technical assistance to people who need affordable homes, quality jobs, child care, and financial independence. And you'll like this the most. The Community Loan Fund pretty much invented the ROC model and has since preserved nearly 10,000 affordable manufactured homes in the state of New Hampshire. She has received numerous honors, including the prestigious Granite State Award from the University of New Hampshire, Outstanding Woman in Business from the New Hampshire Business Review, the Episcopal Bishops Award for Humanitarian Service, and was named the winner of the 2012 Ned Gramlich Lifetime Achievement Award for Responsible Finance from the Opportunity Finance Network. Well, wonderful, Julie. We're excited to have you with us today, and we're going to dive right in here. Julie, can you take us back to uh, 1984 and the first resident-owned community in New Hampshire? Where was it, and how did it come together? Sure. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. I love this story. I was hired in January of 1984 uh, by a new organization called the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund. It's created by Michael Swack around two ideas. One is that there are people that don't have access to capital, even though they deserve it. And the other belief was that there's a lot of capital out there that would go to basic human needs locally if they only had a way to do that. And part of the founding board of that was a woman named Rebecca Story, who was a student in his master's in community economic development program. And as things go, you know, in a small world, she had a friend who had a brother who had a problem. And as she was talking about her program, her friend said, gee, maybe you could help my brother. So her brother is Bob Searles, and he was happily living in his neighborhood, in his house. And then everything changed when the community he was living in came up for sale. And at that time, they would have called his home a trailer, although it was definitely his home, although it had the that bad characteristic of having no legal protection from eviction on 30-day notice because of change of use of land. And this park was in Meredith, New Hampshire, where there's a lot of development pressure, a lot of de- commercial development, condo development. And so they knew that if their the land underneath their homes was sold, then they would have to move. And so they started looking for alternatives. And they all had made improvements to their homes. They had new roofs and porches and breezeways and all kinds of things that wouldn't move, weren't intended to move. 
And plus, when they went to look for someplace, there was no place to move to. It was either too expensive or they, their homes weren't allowed. So they knew that they were in trouble. So Rebecca met with them, and we, the Community Loan Fund, suggested that these 13 families buy the land together as a cooperative, what's called a ROC these days, um, resident-owned community. And only then did they ask, where will we get the money? And because at that time, you know, no bank would have lent to them because they didn't have a down payment. They had no track record of running a place. And the banks asked, what's a cooperative? So at that time, the other side of our the community loan funds mission kicked in and the Sisters of Mercy agreed to invest in us so that we could invest in the Meredith Center Cooperative. The Sisters of Mercy were trying to, you know, connect their faith and their finance together. And so they, when they invested with us, when they gave us the money, um, they said, you better do something good with this and you better pay us back. And so they really liked the idea of us lending to a group of homeowners to get control of their, their homes. So the Meredith Center Cooperative was incorporated under a, a new consumer cooperative law at that time in New Hampshire. And they, they got a really good price because they, they reached out to the elderly woman who was selling and she didn't want to leave. And so they gave her a life estate in her house which was very valuable to her, more valuable than money. So they got a very good price. So on June 1st, 1984, after we gave them all the templates for a cooperative and some training, they purchased they purchased their, their the land underneath their homes. And they immediately started making improvements. The first thing they did was replace the water pump because they didn't have enough water pressure um, between them. And they emptied the dumpster and that was theirs now, and they cleaned up all the trash and things that they had argued about before. And several of them bought new homes because now they were secure and they could they could upgrade their homes because they knew they would never lose them. So I think their their motivations, you know, were to save their homes, save the place where their homes were, take charge of the conditions under which they were living, and keep their housing costs affordable. And now, like 36 years later, they have no debt, haven't had debt for decades. And they, they could easily have the lowest lot rents in the country, as far as I'm concerned. And the, the woman that organized them, Rebecca Story, she has a Native American background. And so she was very sensitive to the loss of land and the catastrophes that can happen to families when they lose the land they live on. And for the Community Loan Fund, it was a chance to invest in people and in affordable housing and each family that would come after the first families that were there. Wow. That's quite a story, Julie. But wasn't there a lot of skepticism around this? What gave you and, and for that matter, the residents themselves and, and investors uh, the confidence uh, confidence in resident ownership? Well, there wasn't any confidence at that time because they were the first ones. But they did, a, they did a great job with it. But what happened after they bought it and they, like I said, they started investing in themselves, we put some publicity out about about um, cooperative ownership. And we started getting calls from other homeowners around the state and their, their parks were being sold and they were being evicted or their park was sold and the rents went up or, the, or their park was sold and the rules changed. And that's when we realized that there was a systemic problem here of land insecurity and lack of control over their, over their stability and, and where they lived. So we had created this option. And the problem was that the homeowners didn't have a way to be a player in the face of developers and in place of prejudice, people thinking they couldn't do it. And they didn't even know this was an option for them. So 
we got the word out, but there were still lots of evictions happening. People were losing their homes. And those stories led to a four-year effort on our part with the homeowners to get a law passed in New Hampshire that was passed in 1988 that said, basically, if you own your home and you rent the land, you have a right to be notified that that land is being sold and that you have the right to negotiate to buy that. And so it made the homeowners a player in the transaction. And that's when I think your question comes into play because now now they're, they know about it and they have a chance to negotiate it. And so they have a lot to learn. So the homeowners have to figure out how to be confident that they can do it. And we provide the down payment financing and sometimes the whole financing, depending on what the situation is. And we have faith in their ability to run their, their communities because it's in their interests and because there's a lot of talent in these communities that can do all the skills that are needed for, for leading this business, this community, and this association. In this process of both public policy and then raising money, not just from investors to the community loan fund, but from banks and the state housing finance authority, how did you see that uh, playing out in those early years as the New Hampshire system built and co-ops became more, more successful? Well, I continue to be surprised at how much stigma there is. When I was growing up, my older brother, when he got out of college and married, his first home was a mobile home in a park. And that just seemed natural to me. It's a, it's a great first home. And my parents, when after they retired and decided they needed to live someplace smaller, they bought a, a mobile home to be a place for them to retire to. So this seemed completely normal to me. And I'm really surprised at all of the basic ignorance that people have about what these communities are. And so much of the stigma is built on factors that are out of the homeowner's control. How do you invest in your home if you don't know you're gonna be able to stay there? How do you um, invest in the, the quality of the community if you don't control the investments there? So there are many things that, that have people have as negative images in their heads that are very hard to get rid of. And they're not ones that homeowners have a lot of control of until they begin to own it as a rock. The biggest thing that's turned around the opinions of those institutions that you just listed, the banks, the housing finance story, is the success of rocks in New Hampshire. There are now 134 rocks in New Hampshire. It's almost a third of the communities here. And they're all succeeding in their own way. They're all a little bit different. They all have different characteristics. Some are big, some are small. Some are, you know, need a lot of improvements. Some are in great shape. They're all different. And yet people continue to be astounded that how successful they are. And so that is really, I think, the first thing that helps overcome the stigma from these institutions in their point of view. The other thing that really helps is the voice of the homeowners. I think people have these images in their head until they meet people, until they go through these communities, they don't really know that they don't know what's there. And there's so many homeowner leaders that I have just loved and admired and has been, have been fabulous to work with. And I hold them dear. Julie, when you look back, is there one person or one co-op that you think best represents resident ownership? Well, I couldn't pick one, but certainly the Meredith Center Cooperative is such a great story, has all the elements that so many people face in a, such a clear and uncomplicated way. They were going to lose their homes and they came together so in order to keep those homes. The second 
community that we organized and that became Iraq was the first one that I organized. And the leader there was a woman named Florence Quast. She was a OBGYN nurse, tough as nails, really solid, very much admired by other people in her community. And she just was a great leader. And I, I loved working with her. And that's really the first time as the second cooperative, it was the first time that the Housing Finance Authority had to meet someone and see the community and, and a location where you need affordable housing. And what I love about Florence was she was a great leader. She was very steady with her compatriots. And then when she stepped down to have somebody else become the leader of her co-op, she retained the leadership of the membership orientation group. And I just love that because she wanted to make sure that as people came in, as they bought homes in that cooperative, that they knew it was a cooperative and they knew what being a cooperative meant and how they were a part of it. And I just admire her very much. And I still do. And she's still a, a great leader in that in that community, even though she plays a different role. And then you have someone like Lois Parrish, who died recently, who really modeled democratic leadership. When people would want to do things, she'd say, well, what do the bylaws say? What do our rules say? And so she made it so it wasn't personal. And so that other people could see how she was leading and they they could see what the, the basis was and it wasn't personal. And then the other the third leader I would mention would be Kim Capen, who is a leader in his community in, in Goffstown today. But he has really perfected through his influence and his leadership the idea of building community. And that when you do that, you know, you it keeps your rents down, it makes people happier, there's more chance for mutual aid. And the business success is easier. So he makes sure everything they do, they do, they do it in a way that builds community. And I, I just admire these, these three and many, many others for what they have accomplished, overcoming odds, overcoming people's skepticism, and really building something that's going to last forever and help themselves and help other people. Oh, those are three tremendous community leaders, Julie. Florence, Lois, and Kim, uh, just both extraordinary and everyday people living in communities. And as you said, there's so much capacity in these communities for leadership and people with real commitments to their to their neighborhoods. I, I have always been inspired by the role of community leaders and those are three exceptional stories. And Julie, I, this is, as we know, multi-generational and you had a story of late. Uh, can you tell us about uh, hearing from a man who grew up in a co-op? Yes, Paul. Jeff Searles. It was Bob Searles from the Meredith Center Cooperative, his young son. He was, I don't know, five or six when they bought their community. And we ran into, we, the Community Loan Fund, ran into him at an event. And when our board member introduced herself, he was like, he came up to her and he said, oh, the Community Loan Fund really changed the trajectory of my life and that of my family and that of my neighbors. And he proceeded to talk about how just the stability of not being evicted from his home and the security of knowing that they weren't going to be have to move was such a, um, a boon to him. And he also talked about he could see the pride of ownership. They all were so proud to own it and they made improvements. And he watched his parents having arguments and making decisions and, and coming up with their plans. And he just felt very aware of that they had influence and responsibility over their living conditions that they didn't have before. And it just made a huge difference to him. And, and I see that with, with other communities that really the basic things that motivated the Meredith group motivates every group, the secure homes, stable affordability, having control and being able to improve their conditions, 
and having greater benefits of this sense of community and living in community. And the other piece that I see is that individuals taking the skills that they learned in being leaders into their jobs. Some of them are taking the skills they have from their jobs into their leadership in the community, but some of them are also taking them the other way and getting recognition for their leadership and changing how they perform in their jobs and in their family. It's really quite inspiring to have a young person like Jeff, he's in his 40s now, be so articulate and clear and enthusiastic about what a difference it make. It was very gratifying. I can only imagine, as, as somebody who's only been in this for eight or nine years, <laughs> someday, maybe. Julie, could you talk a little bit about how the success of the ROC program in New Hampshire led to the start of ROC USA? Sure. I, I, I love that this is what's happened. We were very active in, in New Hampshire and people began to take notice nationally. We would try to tell the story and people found the same problems in other states of evictions and not having control of their stability and their security and the conditions. And so they started, they started asking us for help. And Paul Bradley was the very fine leader of the, the Rock Initiative at the Community Loan Fund. And he was trying to provide some kind of technical assistance or, or speak to some of these people that were asking questions. And we tried to do training, but when it, it became clear that we needed to do something more. And so he took on the job of really taking this initiative nationally and creating Rock USA to bring this option, this ownership option to homeowners all over the country. And we were quite lucky to have excellent national partners that were also interested in fairness for homeowners and also in the whole idea of asset building, that your home is worth more if you control the land underneath it, and that homeownership is quite important for stabilizing families, and that this is a way to do that for people in modest homes. So Paul's done a great job taking this nationally and making it really take steps toward being the standard for quality living in manufactured homes. Well, that's very kind of you, Julie. Thank you. And uh, as you know, the important work and leadership stemming from uh, New Hampshire has been crucial to making resident ownership effective around the country because every new state is a startup like New Hampshire was in 1984 under your leadership. And we're now in 18 states with, uh, you know, it was just 12 years ago, Julie, that uh, resident ownership uh, was possible in a manner that uh, that uh, worked effectively and efficiently, available only in New Hampshire. And over the last 12 years, through our combined efforts, we've made it possible now in 18 states around the country. With uh, So we're a third of the way there with many, many more uh, states to enter and, of course, much more work to do in the states that we are working in with our partners Julie, you've served on the Rock USA board. You were a founding director of Rock USA. Obviously, you helped us, you stewarded us uh, over the years. I'm very interested to hear you now with a couple of months of retirement under your belt. How do you look out in the future here? What do you see as the future of resident ownership? What comes next in the in the rock world, if you will? Well, the thing that I've been intrigued by for a long time is that is this the cooperative ownership is such a base for mutual aid, mutual benefit, mutual action for their own benefit in, in these communities. And, you know, the rocks are, are innovating and leading this in, in their own way in different states and in different communities. What I see is that they, they have so, the sky's the limit. There's so much 
that's possible from, you know, bringing in affordable, affordable, high quality broadband to things that help them with healthy living to solar energy and cost savings of all kinds to disaster recovery plans and prevention, home improvements, and, and just having fun as a group as well. There's so much possibility. And the other thing is that our work with single family um, homes, financing the, the, the homes themselves, we haven't talked about that as something that would become the norm once the land is secure. And so I see that as something that's gonna really, um, we've been doing it in New Hampshire, you know, for 20 years, but how you're gonna take that nationally, I think will be a great boon to homeowners having equity in their homes and being able to to buy them even if they don't have a lot of cash. Geez, Paul, your your first boss, the she's still getting on you about taking on some more projects. Well, that's true, Mike. She she is relentless uh, and forever ambitious. He had to talk me into single family. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> well, Julie, I would love to love to uh, have you talk about after such a remarkable career, so much uh, success and so much impact. If there was something you could do to go back in time, what advice would the 2021 Julie Eads have for the 1984 Julie Eads as you were just embarking on your career in cooperative development and community development finance? That's a tough question, Paul. I, I think that we and you and I together and all the people who have been on the staff of the Community Loan Fund and on the board and have been our partners have just you know, done the best we can and done a really good job. I, if, if, I, if there was anything I wanted to do more of or better, it would be a matter of resources of how to, how to have better technology, how to have better outreach, have more staffing. You know, these kind of things would be, you know, add to the speed with which these cooperatives improve. But mostly it's the, it's the homeowners themselves that really are making, making the progress. And, and how do you, how do you make sure they have the resources, the supportive resources that they need in their communities? And most of that's personal. It's it's human development. And I think people have done a really good job and continue to, as as does Rock USA and all the homeowners that have taken charge of their of of their communities. I'm not I'm not sure what we would do differently. Um, uh, we could be luckier, maybe, um, and maybe more articulate about things we didn't learn till later. But it's it's been really a really good run, and you're making it a really good run nationally. Well, we're going to keep running, Julie. There's no question about that. Julie, uh, I'm just thinking, in nearly 40 years of doing this and 100-plus community purchases, you must have had some some crazy stories. You must have seen – you've seen it all – What's what's some of the biggest surprises you saw, or what's one story out of a rock that still makes you smile today? Well, they they almost all make me smile because it's people overcoming a lot of barriers to figuring out how to do this and taking the time and having the courage to step up for leadership. So I, I think that maybe some of my biggest surprises are not about the people in the communities or the leaders there. It's still this this idea that that people don't see them, how invisible they they are to other people. People who are big into affordable housing can't see them. People who think that it's not possible for people to run their democracy, to run their business, they really undersell these homeowners and that continues to surprise me. 
Well, I think that's a great note, Julie, to bring our really great conversation to a close. I really so uh, greatly appreciate you joining us uh, for this conversation and to record some of these really important names uh, in addition to your voice and your uh, assessment of the past and and uh, outlook for the future. So thank you so much for joining us here on Ownership Matters. We greatly appreciate your time and as always, your thoughts. Thank you, Paul. It's always great being with you and you guys are doing a fabulous job, as is the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund in New Hampshire. And there it is. Our first episode of Ownership Matters is officially on the books. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Julie Eads. She truly is a champion of resident-owned communities. Is there someone you'd like to hear from in an upcoming episode? Are there empowering stories happening in your community that you'd like us to know about? Send us an email at ownershipmatters at rocusa.org. That's ownershipmatters at rocusa.org. Stay tuned for episode two. Thank you. Thank you.